No, I'm not going to do that. All right, the reason we have this today is because John uh, 19, 16 through 42 uh, is the crucifixion narrative, and y'all have heard that a bunch of times, I'm sure. You could probably quote it to me, but what I want you to see, and this is the case in all the in all the gospel accounts, but especially in John, I'm going to be flipping back and forth between John 19 and Old Testament passages. So rather than to have y'all flip back and forth and back and forth or just listen to me read it, I figured I would just use this to throw the verse up on the screen and that way you uh, you could actually see them. And uh, I don't know what that is back there. So I like they're having a party. Hey, can I sit in your lap? Okay, never mind. I didn't know you were going to sit down. No, I'm not going to sit down. I'm not. Okay, so we're talking about the crucifixion, John 19, 16 through 42. Uh, 16 and 17, that's the verse they said, Then delivered he him, therefore, who is he? Delivered he him. Pilate delivered Jesus, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place uh, a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Now, Get the background, the context. Pilate has finally given in. Remember, Pilate was the one trying to let Jesus go, not because he was just such a great guy, but he hated the Jews. They had made his life miserable, so he didn't want to give them what they wanted. But when they started looking like they were about to riot, looking like they were about to cause an insurrection or whatever, he couldn't afford to have that happen. So he's he, he, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to give them what they want. Um, Jesus is led away by, you know, he's carrying his own cross, uh, which is pretty, pretty cruel to make somebody carry their own cross. It was quite normal for that day. Um, but what you see here and what you saw in the outline was uh, I didn't put any of the, the references, the old Testament. I did a few, but not many just because, um, Jesus went through abject humiliation, uh, in all points. It wasn't just pain, physical pain that he went through. It was shame and humiliation and he endured all these things. And he was, uh, treated as a criminal, you know, in the shame of being a criminal and all that, even though every aspect of this trial that he'd gone through, uh, was illegal. I'm going to unplug this thing. Well, it's very heavy now, so I'm not going to unplug it. I'm going to ignore it. Okay? So, this fulfills, in Luke, it says, this is Luke 23, 37. It says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, This is Jesus teaching his disciples that he's going to be turned over as a criminal. So, when it says, back in John uh, 19, 17, bearing his cross, he went forth. He took the mantle of a criminal, and he walked through the city as a criminal on his way out of the city. Um, This was fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And 
so what we're going to see as we look through the verses between 19, 16 and 42 is almost every aspect of Jesus' crucifixion fulfilled the Old Testament picture of what the Messiah would do, how he would save his people, the crucifixion, you know, all those things, especially Psalm 22. Uh, a lot of the, a lot, if you've never read uh, or never read Psalm 22 right beside the crucifixion narrative, I suggest that you do that because a lot of Psalm 50, um, Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm that's predicting the crucifixion and all the things that happen in that psalm. I believe this psalm was on Jesus's mind as he was on the cross because he quotes it himself as, as he's on the cross. And so uh, that's Jesus when he's Jesus telling his disciples. Uh, then if you look at verse 17, he bearing his cross went forth into the place called the place of, the, of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. Now, why is it significant that he was led and crucified outside the city, the holy city, Jerusalem? They were having Passover. Yes, ma'am. Did it have to do with the sacrifice that was to be outside the city? That's exactly what it had to do. The sacrifice, the, the sin offering... If you were to make a sin offering in the Old Testament, uh, they would offer it up on the altar. Then they would take it outside the city and it would be burned outside the city. The right, This is why I put this up here so I can show you all these verses. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, 11 through 13, he applies this to Jesus being led outside the city. It says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. That means outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate, outside outside the city. And it says, let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp bearing his reproach. You see, everybody understand that? You see what's, so him being led outside the city for the writer of Hebrews fulfills the Old Testament sign of the Passover, the sin offering being taken outside the camp and burned. So even him being led outside the city uh, for the writer of Hebrews and for the New Testament authors is uh, it's a fulfillment of what the sin offering was supposed to be in uh, in the Old Testament. Make sense with me? Everybody with me? Okay. And so verse 18 says where they cru- this is John 19 18 where they crucified him and two others with him on either side one on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Who are the two other dudes? You don't know from John but you know from other They were two thieves. They were criminals, wasn't they? <clears throat> And uh, this was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 12. It says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore his, the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He Transgressors. Yes. Wasn't he charged with something specific? Jesus or the... Yeah, Jesus? Wasn't he charged with something other than like being 
Uh, he was crucified by the Romans because he was an insurrectionist. The king of the Jews is what they put on the placard above his head. So he was being... That's what, that's what Pilate put on the placard and it really ticked the Jews off because he really wasn't the king of the Jews. But... You know, that's what he was being crucified for. Even though that's what we saw last week was Pilate knew this guy is not an insurrection. He is no threat to Caesar. He's no threat to the Romans. And so what I want you to see in these verses in John 19 is everything that goes on point by point is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, either by explicit prophecy, like this was a prophecy that Isaiah said he was numbered with the transgressors. That's a Messianic Psalm, Isaiah 53, is all about. That's where he was bruised for our transgressions. And that's that, that's that, um, that's that chapter. And so it says he was numbered with the transgressors. That's, that is in Jesus' own lips in Luke chapter 23. He says this is the fulfillment of me, of Isaiah saying I was numbered with the transgressors. And so what I want you to see is that every aspect of the crucifixion of Christ, I could just teach you about, well, he suffered in the... And, but you already know all that. What I wanted you to see in this, in this is that every aspect in the crucifixion is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy or a, uh, a fulfillment of a type. Let me explain that. There's two types of prophecy. One is when a prophet says, hey... Here's a prophecy, and he gives it to you, right? The other is a picture in the Old Testament, like the Passover. The Passover pointed toward Jesus. He was a lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, he, you know, the blood on the door pointed toward you. See, you understand what I'm saying? All those things pointed toward Christ. And so you can see in John chapter 19 that in all the things that Jesus went through, and this is what John is trying to point out, I believe, is that they all, they all, uh, line up with what was what was foretold in the Old Testament. So this is verse 19 through 22 in John 19. So we're back in John 19. It says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Why do you think it made him mad that he had king of the Jews? When a lot of times, most times when people were crucified, the charge was put over this guy's a thief he's this guy's a murderer you know the charge was put over his head the only thing that was put over Jesus's head was um, Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews Can, have you ever seen I'm gonna write on the board even though this is on the board have you ever seen Henry on the placard, like on a picture of Jesus, Henry, never seen that. Yeah. Have you? That, huh? No, actually, it was it's Latin. Well, that that part is that's Jesus of Nazareth, King ra- raised King King of the Jews. There's no J's, so Jesus and Jews. I, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what is what it means. 
And he put that placard over him and the, and the Jews were ticked off because, you know, now everybody that passes by this guy who is suffering on the cross is going to look and say, wow, that, that's the, the king of the Jews I ain't doing so hot. Look at him up here. I mean, what kind of king is this? What kind of king is, is going on? And, and they begged Pilate to change it. Like, just say that he claimed to be because he's not really our king. Remember, who's their king? He, they said, we have no king but Caesar. And so uh, they said, you know, just change it to, uh, you know, change it to... He said he was the king of the Jews. And why don't you think Pilate changed it? He didn't want to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He was, it was a stick. Yeah, that's what I think. He was He was sticking it to him going, yeah, you want, you said he was, you said he was the, you know, being crucified for being king of the Jews. Well, behold your king. There he is. You know, look at him. That's your king. But he didn't really understand at the time. I don't think no one did. But Pilate kind of invented the first gospel track, didn't he? By writing, he, he wrote it in Hebrew or Aramaic at the time. He wrote it in Latin and he wrote it in Greek. Now, all the Jews spoke, it was a, kind of a form of Hebrew. I'm not getting into all that. It's Aramaic, uh, Hebrew, uh, all the Romans spoke Latin and Greek was kind of a... It was kind of a common merchant language. Like everybody spoke some Greek. You couldn't, you know, that's how you, that's how the common folk communicate. It's called Koine Greek. And they, they communicate. So he put it in the three languages where everybody who passed by, it didn't no matter what country you were from, it didn't matter if you was from, you know, 600 miles away, you understood one of those languages. You understood Latin, you understood this common Greek tongue. And so he wrote Jesus Christ, King of the the Jews in all three of these languages. And so for the first time, for the first time, people who, you know, maybe weren't Jewish, but Greeks that were walking around, Romans walking around, people that would pass by. Remember it says, remember in the verse before it said a lot of people saw it because it was right close to the city and people were coming and going and coming and going. And so Pilate unknowingly, he, he wrote in the languages of not just the Jewish people, but also the Gentile people. You see, so they would see that this was the king of the Jews. And, and you know, not that they would fall on the knees and say, oh, we want to serve the king of the Jews. But it would start them to thinking. It would start them to say, who is this man that has been crucified outside the city walls? Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? It says, and this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 49, 6, where it says, it's not a fulfillment, but it points toward it, where it says, I will also give thee for a light, talking about Christ, God said, I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation to the end of the earth. By putting that placard up, Pilate was unknowingly, of course, he didn't realize what he was doing, but he was demonstrating that the, the, the Christ, the one who offers salvation, the king of the Jews, the one who... Uh, was dying for the sin of the world was not just dying for this this one group of people in in Judah over here. He was dying for the Greeks. He was dying for the Romans. He was dying for he was dying for all these people. It was given in in each language so that everyone could understand. Y'all with me? Okay. And then this is twenty three through twenty four 
in chapter 19, it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without a seam woven from the top throughout his, his, his outer cloak. Each Jew, Jewish person at least had four garments. I, I can't think of them right now. They had a, a linen tunic. They had uh, sandals. They had... Uh, I can't think of them. Uh, they said, therefore, amongst themselves, let us not rend it. Let's, don't tear this outer cloak, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lot, lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, it was, it was a privilege of the Roman soldier when they executed someone to take whatever they wanted. Um, a lot of people don't realize this because you've seen the Jesus movie over and over again or you've seen the Passion of the Christ over and over again. But when a, when a, when a convicted felon was crucified, he was crucified naked. He wasn't, no loincloth, no whatever the movies showed. You know, I'm sure they can't show that in the movies. That's why they put the loincloth on him. But understand it, it wasn't just pain and suffering they went through. But can you imagine the abject shame of just being, I mean, you're crucified naked. And most of the time when they were dead and it was all over with, the, the Roman soldiers would just take their stuff and before they parted, they, but can you imagine Jesus naked on the cross, suffering, uh, and these guys are down there gambling for his clothes as he's, you know, the cross wasn't 40 feet up in the air like you might think. It's probably, his feet probably this high off the ground. You know, so it wasn't like he was way up there and they were all, you know, I mean, if, if you stood right here, his eyes would probably have been, you know, up here somewhere. So, I mean, he's right here on the ground. I mean, it's not way up there. He's right here suffering, right? And he, his eyeballs are right here and you got four Romans right here, you know, parting his clothes. You can imagine what probably was going through his mind. He probably, you know, he's suffering. He was uh, tormented. He was humiliated, you know, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like him being posted up on top of this building naked for everybody to see. I mean, he's right here. He right here. You walk right up to him. You know, his, his mom is going to show us a minute. His mom and, and Apostle John were, were right there with him, you know, watching him go through all these things. And so they were parting his clothes. They were parting his clothes uh, and he bore the shame. It, I can't imagine how humiliating it would have been or how shameful it would have felt, not to mention the physical torment. But do you see that this is just me thinking out loud, but when he was crucified, he bore the two things that he bore besides our sin and all those things, but he bore the shame of the curse that Adam plunged the world into. You remember what, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, what happened? What was the first thing that happened? They realized they were naked, they they were naked and they went to cover themselves. Well, here is the second Adam, what Paul calls the second Adam. He's suffering on the cross, bearing the nakedness you know, of, of the shameful nakedness of the curse. And I didn't tell you this last week uh, because sometimes it's hard to make the connection, but uh, do you remember the curse that God placed on Adam? Not on Eve or the serpent, but what did he say, Adam? He would, have to work the he would work the ground and the ground would give him what? 
thistles and thorns, right? And so Jesus bears the, he bears the curse when they put the crown of thorns. I mean, that was the first symbol of the curse in the Bible was thorns. You're going to work, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and you're going to receive thorns back from your work. And here is Jesus bearing the shame, the two things that shamed Adam. The curse of the nakedness, the, the curse that he understood the shamefulness of his nakedness, and the curse of the ground that it would bear thorns. So you got this picture of Jesus, this the Messiah, the perfect man, the one who Adam was supposed to be, but, but ended up failing. He is on the cross bearing the shame and the curse of what Adam was supposed to be. Do you see how he's paying? It's, it's like the Bible's coming full circle and it's showing you that this is the redemption from all the things that has come forward. Do y'all see that? Anybody questions or anything? And they gambled for his clothes and, and it tells you specifically that that they, I think it's, yeah, I got it right here. It's Psalm 22. It says, they parted, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They parted my garments amongst them and cast lots upon my vesture. This psalm, written during the time of David, five or six hundred years before Jesus was even thought of as a human. You know, Jesus, the Son, eternally existed. But before Mary and Joseph were even thought of. This was, this was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, uh, before Jesus. And I think I know that Psalm 22 was on Jesus' mind as he was dying on the cross. And there's so many parts of the crucifixion that are fulfilled in Psalm 22. Anybody know what the first words in Psalm 22 is? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Recognize that? That's the words that Jesus spoke. And so, understand that, yes, in a sense, in a sense, while Jesus was on the cross, the Father turned his back on his Son because he bore the sin. Uh, but there was no rift in the Trinity. So, I mean, it wasn't as if, you know, the Father said, you're not my Son anymore, whatever. Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. He was quoting Psalm 22. And if you go through Psalm 22, there's so many things that fulfill, that are fulfilled in the crucifixion. But at the end of the psalm, uh, the psalmist says that he will not depart from me. He will not leave me. He will not, you know, he is, uh, let's just read it. Anybody got, somebody turn to Psalm 22. It says, go ahead. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That he hath done this. That he hath done this. That's the end of Psalm 22? Oh, that's 31 verses. Okay, all this from 1 to... Save me. Uh, 1 to 21 is all about the crucifixion. It says they're pierced. Uh, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Verse 8, that's where the Pharisees came. says he trusted the Lord, let him deliver him. Uh, and so... If, just read it when you get a chance. We're not going to take time right this second, but read it when you get a chance. It is a perfect prophecy of what Jesus would do on the cross. And I believe that he understood that. And there's a... We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, so 
the um, even in the midst of all this, all right, we've got humiliation, we've got shame, we've got bearing the curse, we've got physical pain, physical torment. By this time, he'd already been whipped, he'd already been beaten, so he's probably just bleeding out everywhere. Not to mention the death on the on the cross was such a horrid, horrid thing. Um, but in the whole midst of all this, he was he was still he still had. Um, his his people on his mind. In verse 25 through 27, this is John 19, it says, Now there stood by the cross of his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. What was he doing right there? He was asking John to take care of his mom. That's right. He was asking his mom to go to John because he knew that John would take care of That's right. And so he was, in the midst of all this, he was, he was thinking about the care of, of his mom and the disciple. Because the first thing he said was, Woman, this is your son. And son, this is this is your mom. So even 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 as he was suffering and going through all that he was going through, the thoughts of Psalm 22 on his mind, the the thoughts of you know seeing the the Roman soldiers. I mean, just picture the scene. Like his feet was no higher than this rail right here. There's almost positive probably would have been a little lower but no more no higher than this so here he is right here you got four roman soldiers over here gambling for his clothes okay and you probably got people all around that are you know these women that are suffering and you know crying and all these things and then you got the jewish men that are walking around laughing taunting remember in the, the other gospels they're saying well he's the savior let him save himself you know if he's god let him come down from the cross you know you got all this going on and you got you got all this going on and he's right here i mean he's not like some far off way way up there can you imagine that in the midst of all this what are y'all laughing at your Jewish imitation. That's kind of like your Jewish voice. <laughs> that was not my Jewish voice. That was my antagonistic voice. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, say before now, huh? Was it funny? That reminds. This is not funny, but that reminds me. This guy we were talking about. This has nothing to do with the lesson, but it's funny. Uh, we were at, I was at the hospital, and the other chaplain was. He, you know, we were talking about our, our backgrounds. I told him I'm, I'm Italian, you know, and so I, I was like, I'm Roman, you know. I, I come from the family of Caesar, really. And I was just making up stuff, and he said, Well, I'm a Druid, and I said, Funny, you don't look Druish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that wasn't that was funny to me. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. <clears throat> All right, so he was still thinking about his his mother. So here we have, this is where he died, verse 28. And this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. What things did he know were all accomplished? Second. Huh? Second. 
The promise that Jesus has fulfilled every every promise of God that was given in the Old Testament, the, the, the sinfulness of mankind being paid for, you just name it, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, I thirst. He said, I thirst. Now there was a set, a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a, a sponge. Is that how you spell sponge? Is that the right way? No, no but that's how they spell it. That's how they spelled it? Okay, because I copied and pasted it. I didn't write this myself. He filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, which was basically sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Okay, understand he's still in control. They did not take his life. He gave it up when he knew that all things were now accomplished. But, it says, the scripture might be fulfilled to say, I thirst. Uh, these are Psalm 22 again, 22.15 and 69.21. These are messianic psalms talking about the suffering of the Messiah. It says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaved to my jaws. They gave me also gall, which is the same word as what we saw, vinegar. For my meat and my thirst, they gave me... Well, there's vinegar. This was gall would be sour wine. They gave me vinegar to drink. That was prophesied in Psalm 69.21. And it was fulfilled in John 19.28. I'll tell you after class. Didn't the, didn't the Jewish guys know this? I mean, weren't they like going, wow, They should have. And that's the thing. You and I probably wouldn't have. Because we're learning all these things. We get to read. Even if you were grown, raised in church, you, you and I probably wouldn't have made the connection. But you got to understand, a Pharisee was steeped in the old... I mean, they would memorize like five books of the Bible just by the age of 12. And they would, they would have most of these psalms and literatures and liturgies, they would have these things memorized. They would know these things. And the psalms back then were not called Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. They were named by the first line that was in the psalm. So when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? They should have known that he was quoting. They did know. They, they it could not have known that he was quoting Psalm 22. I mean, because that was the title of the psalm that he was quoting. And so um, they most certainly should have known and they probably did know that Jesus was claiming this. But they refused to believe it. They refused to believe it. I think that they, they were so Well, and even today, even today, there are Jewish people that deny it, knowing what the New Testament says. They can see the psalm that was written hundreds and hundreds of years before. They can see the fulfillment in the text of John and the historical record of what actually happened. They can see and they still deny that. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah. So there are still people that deny it, even though they know what Psalm 22 says. I know the man who was Jewish. He used to be one of our furniture salesmen. Yeah? We went to the store in Paris. And, uh, I mean, Orthodox Jews, when they 
celebrate Passover. Mm-hmm. They go through the whole thing. Hmm. And he thought Jesus was a prophet. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. But not the Messiah. So Jesus said, it is finished, and we're almost done. The word is tetelestai. I know that don't mean nothing to you, but you ought to remember it. Because it's very important. What's so neat about what's so neat about it is this was a word. It means it is finished. There's no secret meaning. That's it's done. That's what it means. Uh, but it was a word that was used as like a stamp when you uh, when you go to pay for something or whatever, and they'll stamp paid in full on your bill. That's what this word was used. It was used in merchant trading. It was used for criminals. You know when you uh, back then if you owed money and you couldn't pay money, uh, you would either sell yourself in a slavery or they throw your butt in jail until somebody came and paid. You know your debt, and when that debt was finally paid, they would put to telestai uh, over over your your cell, and they'd let you out. And so Jesus was saying, "It's finished. It's paid in full." And he was using the same language that's used when a debt is paid, or when a when a uh, when a sentence is carried out, when something is uh, you know when something is. He used a universal word that everybody. Right, and it didn't just mean, hey, it's over, I'm dying. It meant it's paid in full. See, he didn't just say, he didn't, to put it in English the way you and I would hear it, he didn't say, okay, I'm done. He said, the debt's been paid. That's what he said. So when he said it is finished, he didn't mean, mean, you know, Okay, I've I've had enough. I can't take no more. It's over. My life is over. He didn't mean any of those things. He meant, I have finished. I have accomplished the payment of the debt. That's what it meant. That's what it meant in the terms that he was using. Everybody understand? Good. Okay. So finally, it says the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, which is Friday, uh, that that the word, interestingly enough, the word preparation is the word for Friday. Like, the Jewish word for Friday is the word preparation. That the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was was a high day, uh, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. They didn't want the people up on the cross during the Sabbath. Why did did they want Pilate to break their legs? So they would die quicker. How did it make them die quicker? If you break their legs and their bodies can't be boosted up to get hanging. air to their lungs. That's exactly right. That's When you died by crucifixion, you died by suffocation. You died because you could not breathe. And the reason is, if you, uh, I mean, you can't mimic it on the ground, but if you're hanging by your hands out here, all your body weight's here, and what they would do is they would put one, you know, one through, there's, there's, archaeological evidence of people that were crucified through the wrists and through the hands, so I'm not even getting into that discussion. They're both possible. But anyway, when you're crucified, they would they would put your, your feet, they'd bend your knees, and they would put a nail through both feet, nail through both hands, and basically you would hang 
by your hands. And your diaphragm would be in such a position that in order to breathe, you would have to push up on your legs and get it above your, you know, get it, get the weight off of your arms to take in a breath and then you could let off and then breathe out. So every time you breathe, you'd have to push up with your legs. You'd have to push up with your legs. So to hurry that process along, they would come and break your legs. And so you could not push up anymore and you would suffocate quicker. And so what you see in, in, you know, you see the pictures of Jesus on the cross and you know that he died on the cross. But the kind of death that he died was horrendous. It was, excru- that's where the, ro- the word excruciating comes from, was the crucifixion. Uh, it was it was the most awful way to die. It was so awful that Rome uh, forbade any Roman citizen from dying in this way. If you're a Roman citizen and you're convicted of a crime, they could not crucify you because it was not it was against the law to crucify a Roman citizen. It was that bad. And so, what they were saying was the Jews did not want the these guys on the cross during the Passover, during the Sabbath day. And so they sought Pilate that their legs might be broken. And Pilate said, okay, verse 32, then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. Okay. Why is that significant? That they didn't break his legs. It was prophesied. Verse in Exodus, we're talking about the Passover, Exodus 12, 46 says, In one house shalt be eaten, talking about the Passover sacrifice. Thou shalt not carry forth out aught of the flesh out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. None of its bones. If it's going to be an acceptable sacrifice for the Passover, this is an Exodus, cannot have any of the bones broken. And so when they came to Jesus to break the legs, they didn't break them because he was already gone. And then this is Numbers. This is talking about the Passover. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. Talking about the Passover sacrifice. So they didn't break any of the bones uh, of Jesus. And it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out there, forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record. This is John. And his record is true. And John was standing right there with his mom, remember? He says, He that saw it bear record. His record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that you might believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. We saw that one earlier. And again, another scripture saying, They will look on him who they have pierced. That's Zechariah chapter 12, I think. I wrote it down right here. Chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11? No, it's Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Okay? Yes. Okay, so... I may have written it down wrong, but I think it's 12. It seems to me that John made a distinction with the second prophecy Um, I think it would be enough, but it just, it just made, I mean, it made, it wasn't something that was normally done. 
put it that way. And so the fact that they pierced his side, which used the same language as is used in the Zechariah prophecy, um, it, it just, for John, I think in John's thinking that was the fulfillment of it, the piercing of his side. You're going to ask me about the blood and water. It's, okay, what? Why did they care about the other guys being taken down too? They didn't want anyone on the cross during the Sabbath. Because there was Jewish people streaming in from all over the world to come in, and they didn't want the, they didn't want the. You weren't supposed to leave them on a tree, crucified people hung on a tree overnight anyway in Jewish law, and so it was a, it was a, they couldn't do anything with them on the Sabbath anyway, you know, because you couldn't do any work, couldn't do any whatever. So any, any kind of preparations they were making, they were making that night. And they wanted, if, if you're asking me, they wanted, I think they wanted Jesus dead, gone, out of the way. Let's get on with the Passover. Let's get on with the celebration and the whatever. Uh, we don't even want his body hanging up there for everybody to be crying. And so... so would this have happened like on Friday evening? Yes. Well, afternoon. What we would consider afternoon. I think it was the the ninth hour, which would be three o'clock. Yeah. I'd have to I'd have to check it out. I don't remember. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. I may be wrong about that. Blood and water. There is no end of the discussions about what that means. So we're, we couldn't solve it now anyway. And then this is where he's buried. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea being. Disciple of Jesus, but secretly for of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, remember him, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, which was a lot of money back then. Uh, then they then took they the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes, with spices, the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid there laid they Jesus therefore because the Jews preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand they had to hurry up and bury him so they buried him close now notice all this started in the garden Jesus came to the garden that's where he was arrested all this ends in a garden and so this is the end of the uh, the section of the crucifixion but Joseph of Arimathea giving his tomb for him to be buried in was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Verse Isaiah 53. You remember 50, 53? We've quoted it like four or five times already. 53 is the messianic psalm. Pierced for our transgressions. Whatever. He said he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. That was the fulfillment of because Matthew 27 says Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. When, when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph who also himself was Jesus' disciple. That's Matthew 27, 57. So even his burial, even his burial fulfilled scripture that he was, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb, basically. So from the very beginning, from the very beginning of this crucifixion narrative to the very, from, from before he died to the way that he died, the way that he was mocked, the way that he was beaten, the way that he was tried, the way that he didn't open his mouth as a sheep led to the slaughter, the, from all that at the very beginning all the way to the time that he was put into the tomb, uh, tomb sealed up uh, until three days later and the resurrection is the next chapter. We'll come to that next week. But from that time to the, the very 
time that they sealed the tomb and walked away from it, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies and Scripture, things that had foretold this is what the Messiah will do, this is how redemption will come, this is how sins will be forgiven, and it was, it's, just, it's just too many, it's too many prophecies fulfilled in this one instance to pass it off and say that it can't be. Do you see how John constructed his narrative in such a way that it just points out one right after the other that are fulfilled in, in Jesus? Make sense? Any questions? Any comments? No? Okay. 100 pounds of, of stuff, yeah, spices, oils. So they wrapped him up and he had 100 pounds of stuff on him, you know. Well, I, I guess it. If 100 pounds, 100 pounds, uh, be spread out, be spread all of it. They just said that that was what was brought to prepare his body. So, but that doesn't bother me because if he, you know, if he can get past the rock at the beginning at the door, he can get out of the linen, the linen deal. No, I mean that's just one more thing that I had neither. I had neither. I was thinking of the 